Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are now in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and ever, and this is my title for all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now will you join me in your worship guide as we read the responsive reading called God the Revealer. God reveals beauty to us if we will open our eyes to see it. God reveals truth to us if we will open our minds to accept it. God reveals love to us if we will open our hearts to receive it. God reveals wonder to us if we will embrace it. May we live each day with open eyes, open minds, open hearts, 
and open arms, always open to a message from God. Well, good morning. Whether you're listening to Taylor Swift's song, Holy Ground, or the old hymn, You Are Standing on Holy Ground, we know the significance of a holy space, right? We know that moment. Such a space for us can hold memories, emotions, particular scents and sounds, and an overwhelming sense of belonging. These holy spaces exude reverence and welcome. They are moments in time when all may be in shambles, but somehow all still feels just right. Now, church, this morning, I'm going to be incredibly honest with you. Because you see, every preacher on a Sunday morning hopes for a burning bush moment with every sermon. Uh Uh-huh. And you know... That's not always how it goes. Because more often than not, sorry, Jason, most sermons are more like wet seaweed than a burning bush. And yet, we continue to yearn for holy reverence to impregnate every piece of our sermons. And we continue to pray for the Spirit to arrive in the room. And yet, truth be told, personally... None of my memories of holy ground are from a Sunday morning worship service. So tell me, what is holy ground? Well, be excited, because this morning as we attempt to define holy ground, I'm going to invite us to collectively do a hard, maybe a little gross, and perhaps a slightly stinky thing. And yes, I know this is not our norm here at 2BC. I want to name that. And I hesitate to say if you are comfortable, because sometimes I think it's in our discomfort that we're fully able to experience the sacred. So this morning, if you are able, I'm going to invite you to take your shoes off, literally take them off, and just set them aside and leave them off the rest of the service. And don't worry, no one's going to look at your toes. But if you are not able, don't worry. You're not excluded from this sermon. If you're not able, that's okay. I want you to use your imagination to engage in this experience. So once you have your shoes off, just kick them under the pew. No need to worry about them. And now I want you, if you will, to close your eyes. So let's just take a moment and close our eyes. I want you to stretch out your toes, wiggle them a little bit. Feel the sturdiness beneath your feet. Notice the ground. Feel the ground holding you. Take in this moment of freedom to just unplug, get comfy, and relax in the vulnerability of this moment. For perhaps this is holy ground. O God who loves us, we welcome you to this space, 
teach us to embrace the awkward that we might notice the sacred. Hold us so that we might just relax into your presence. O God who loves us, teach us to be vulnerable with ourselves so that we might be vulnerable with you. Amen. Forced from the world he knew, forced from an identity that he claimed, forced from safety and back to reality, an Egyptian, now a Hebrew, a somebody, now a nobody. The world in turmoil, Moses fled, alienated from his people, questioning who he was and wondering his purpose. But here he finds solace, here in the wild, here among the nothingness, here in the midst of creation, here in the midst of questions, here, right here, he finds God. It's as if he was looking, and maybe he was. What if day in and day out, Moses roamed the desert, tending his father-in-law's sheep and just muttering out to God? Or what if his days were spent in silence, listening for God's voice? Or what if his eyes were constantly peeled on the horizon, hoping for a sign of God's presence? What if Moses really was looking for God? I know when I'm in a desperate place, and I need a glimpse of the divine, my, off, my eyes often also wander to the mountains and the stars, just like Moses, perhaps. But maybe Moses was no longer in a place of such desperation. But maybe he was just now left with an unsettled stomach and a need to offer sanction. But how does one demand justice after years of thriving off of injustice? How does one lead a people after years of being the face of their oppression? If I'm honest with myself, this is a question that I continue to daily ponder, even as a white, very, very privileged pastor. Now, as many of you know, this semester, Second Baptist is partnering with William Jewell. Um, we're leading um, a Bible study on campus. I'm getting to, um, to partner with the marvelous Melissa. And one of the things that our Bible study is hoping to do is to teach our students there how to read the Bible critically. And like all good lessons, I've learned that they often teach the teacher something. So in the midst of me preparing for this, I found myself constantly recalling one of the most eye-opening courses I had in my undergrad career at East Texas Baptist. Early on in my time there, I found myself fortunate to take a biblical hermeneutics class from Dr. Jennifer Bashaw. And the entire class's curriculum was based around a very similar question to the one Moses was probably pondering. How can I lead a people that I have benefited from oppressing, whether knowingly or unknowingly? And truth be told, as much as I'm ashamed to admit this, as a college student, I entered that course believing that that question did not apply to me. But after just a few weeks of reading scripture alongside some of my friends in that class, 
I realized that I needed to look at Moses' question slightly differently. For instance, I will never forget the moment when we were reading the story of the parable of the two sons, which we've been reading for the last couple of weeks here. And it's a passage that I had known all of my life. I grew up with it. I thought I knew the ins and outs of every moment. And someone from across the room pointed out that the land was in famine. Did you know that? I'd never taken notice of that moment because it was just a piece that I read over. But you see, for my friend in that class, scarcity of food had been a reality in their day-to-day life growing up. So it wasn't just a line they could read over. Their experience brought it to life. It made them read scripture differently. You see, it took me a while, but that course changed my life. It made me much more aware of the experiences that I personally bring to scripture, the known and the unknown biases that color my theology, and it made me much more aware of my world. And it continues to make me better ponder the question, how can I lead people that perhaps I've benefited from oppressing? But when I try to answer that question, I find myself needing to heed the words and the actions of Moses at the beginning of this passage. So for starters, maybe we need to look for holy ground. People are screaming. The world is spiraling. Humanity is doubled over in pain. My children, their backs wear the scars of the brutality of slavery. Their bodies cripple from the weight of hard labor. They lack home, an identity, a purpose, their freedom. These are my people. These are my children, and they do not know who they are. But these are my people. And I'm looking at my people. Meanwhile, Moses searches. Moses is looking. These are his people too. He's seen the injustices. He himself has unknowingly and knowingly aided in their oppression. And yet, in this moment, he is looking for the divine. And the divine is looking right at him. Moses. Moses, so enamored with the mystery of the miraculous and so brave in the face of the impossible. Moses, Moses, I'm here, he says. It's as if Moses says to God, I'm here. Here I am, God. Here you are, God. Here we are together. But God, who am I? And God, who are you? And God, what are we supposed to be doing Together, God, I'm looking. Show me. And in response, God replies, I'm here. I've been looking to, I see them and I see you. Friends, maybe this morning you need to hear that God sees you. If you're in the depths of your own Egyptian enslavement or estrangement, if you're in a season of running because you've been forced from your place of comfort, if you're in a moment of roaming the desert just looking for any signs of God that you can see, 
or if you're still just trying to figure out your purpose, God sees you. God sees you faithfully tending your flock or even someone else's flock. God sees you faithfully scanning the horizon. God sees you overcome with wonder and curiosity. God sees you working towards justice and caring for those in poverty. God sees you. So in the midst of this moment, be aware because you might be standing on holy ground. So church, tell me, what is holy ground? Is holy ground the sacredness of an immaculate sanctuary? Is holy ground the blue of the sea or the green of the trees? Is holy ground where mystery meets the ordinary? Is holy ground even a place? Or is holy ground merely when our attention is aligned with God's attention? Because more and more, I'm starting to believe that holy ground cannot be seen. So tell me, what is holy ground? Is it possible that holy ground has no connection to a particular location? But if such is true, then why do the shoes matter? God speaks. Don't come any closer. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. A moment of reverence. Honor bestowed upon the divine. Moses is after all in the presence of the great I am. But what if there's more? I'm struck by this passage when I read it because I think the order of events causes me to think anew. Does God require Moses? God does not require Moses to remove his shoes before he's able to witness the divine. No, the spirit was present long before the sandals were removed. Instead, the removal of shoes comes after the bush is burning. Yet, We like to assume that holy ground is only to be revered and upheld. But I wonder if the order of this passage maybe speaks a different truth. I wonder if the shoes coming off invites a different kind of holy space. Maybe the shoes being removed is just a way of saying, Okay, God, I'm listening. I'm looking. Okay, God, I'm listening, and I'm looking. Okay, God, I'm listening, and I'm looking. Following removing his shoes, God calls Moses to go and free the Israelites. And without hesitation, Moses responds freely. Moses is not afraid or anxious about sharing with the divine. No, Moses states his true concerns and doubts and truths. He lays bare his soul before the all-powerful one. It's as if the comfort of the moment, even amidst the mystery of the moment, invites Moses to sit right down in that space 
and be authentically himself. Fully exposed, fully vulnerable, fully human, and fully seen. So once again, tell me, what is holy ground? Because more and more I find holy ground to feel like the normalcy of walking around my house barefoot. And I find holy ground to be the places where I feel safe enough to ask God hard and difficult questions. So what is holy ground? Well, for me, holy ground is when I walk my dog after dark. It's the moment when the busyness of my day collides with the necessity of my household. It's the space when the only direction is forward. It's an action when the practice takes no practice. It's a moment when I am best able to be myself with God. My holy grounds in this season of my life are the moments when I walk around the streets of downtown Liberty. They're the moments when my tears of stress, frustration, sadness, grief, even joy flow freely and are hidden by the night skies. Because in those desperate places, when I am desperately looking to find God, it's there that I've been reminded that God is seeing me. So maybe Moses had it right. Maybe holy ground really is the work of just faithfully tending our flock, or maybe the work of faithfully tending someone else's. Maybe holy ground really is roaming the mountainside. Maybe holy ground is the act of constantly looking for God. Maybe holy ground for you is learning to trust that God is looking at you. Maybe holy ground is being bold enough to unlace your shoes, stretch out your toes, and do the hard, sometimes painful things. The things that expose us, make us vulnerable, and make us fully seen by God. So church, could it be that holy ground is all around? And we only need to make a habit of looking for it. Because perhaps seeing it is just as normal as taking off our shoes. <laughs>